Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. It's a special podcast we put together on the weekends for you to enjoy. It's going to highlight some of our best interviews from this week from the radio show. You can hear these interviews live during the week in your local radio station. To find out where you can hear the Dan Bongino radio show near you, go to Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder, and you'll find the station nearest you. But before we get to our first interview, let me get to one of our sponsors. We really appreciate their time. Folks, I am a big coffee drinker in the mornings, do a lot of shows, need my coffee to get up, to work out. Are you tired of the same old monotonous liberal-flavored coffee brands? So stop. Stop giving your money to woke companies don't care about you. Go with a coffee option, one that tastes great. It's the most important part. Quality, high-quality coffee that tastes delicious. But we want to support companies that align with conservative values, American values. That's my friends at Blackout Coffee. It's a terrific company. I'm proud to personally, personally recommend Blackout Coffee. It's what we drink in the house. It's a coffee company, 100% committed to conservative values, but just as important, a high quality product. They want their product to be top notch, but they care about the country too. From sourcing the beans to the roasting process, customer support or shipping, they've got an incredible work ethic. I know the owner of the company personally. They've dedicated to promoting conservative principles and accept no compromise on taste or quality. It's a strong, bold flavor. Do me a favor. Check them out. It's blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino. Please give them a look. Blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino. Use coupon code Bongino for 20% off your first order. Don't wait. Ditch those other guys. Blackout Coffee remains true to our values and true to the highest quality coffee. It is a bold, strong coffee. I love the flavor. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash Bongino. Use coupon code Bongino for 20% off your first order. First up today, we talk with John Rich about his new collaboration. This is a great tune with Tom McDonald. Have you heard this? The End of the World? What a great song. He talks about what it's like to be in the music industry full of leftists and how he's trying to fight for a parallel economy, even in the music industry. Check this out. I love this guy, man. He's the best. Who? Well, of course, one of my favorite musicians, an unbelievably talented guy, uh, a good friend and a real patriot. Welcoming back to the show, my good friend Johnny Rich and Tom McDonald's. Well, John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan, good to be on with you, brother. Yeah, it's good to have you both with us. Yeah, man, no sweat. So we just had the distinct pleasure of listening to the new tune you guys have out. During the break, I took a little break from a regular rotation of tunes that was driving Jim crazy, so you guys rescued us. I got a sneak peek. The song is awesome. It's called End of the World. So, Tom, you know what? I'll let you take this one first, and I'll get to John. What what made you guys want to put together this song? I mean, obviously times are bad, but what was kind of like the road to Damascus moment? You're like, we got to put together a song about this. Yeah, you know, I think that I've sort of for the past four years have been uh, making music that sort of goes against the performative wokeness and all the problems that that's causing in the world. Um, and, you know, my, I'm a big rock and roll fan and rock and roll's traditionally been about screaming the truth at the top of your lungs. So I'm trying to adopt a little bit of that and inject it into hip hop, um, which is rare in that genre. And I've been a big fan of John for a long time. Um, and he's sort of a disruptor in country music in the same way that <laughs> oh, I'm a disruptor. Is. Yeah, in the same way that I'm a disruptor in hip hop. So I just figured, you know, it, does anything make more sense than having I uh, came across John Rich you, Tom. Sorry to interrupt. I came across you, I guess, about a year ago. 
someone sent me one of the pieces you would put together and I thought, yeah, this, we need more of this. Like that is a genre where we definitely need people to speak out. Now, John, you and I have been buddies for a while. You were kind enough to invite me over to your house. Folks, this is one of the most talented guys you're ever going to meet. We're up in Nashville. We're there for this Fox thing. I said, John, you mind if we stop by, bring my brother there. John has kind of taken us in. We may have had a few adult sodas. I don't know. I'm just saying. And John picks up his guitar and just like invents a song right there and gives us like a private concert. So you must have thought to yourself, Tom's pretty talented. It does sound like it's the end of the world. Perfect time for a tune, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Dan, you're always invited to my house anytime you're in Nashville, Thanks, of course. Brother. You know, so, so Tom McDonald, you know, a lot of your audience may not know him. A lot of my audience may not know him. This is one of the only artists around that is putting out songs with lyrics that, like Tom said, go directly against what the industry of music says you're allowed to say. And I think he said it very well that rock and roll and country music, American music used to always be about pushing back against the machine, pushing back against the man. And now it's become co-opted by the machine and co-opted by the man and and because of that you don't get lyrics like what i say or like what tom says so putting the two of us together uh, we got a band together i think it's a good lesson for everybody we're very different tom and i if you see a picture of him and a picture of me we don't look like <laughs> we come from the same place but we feel the same dan we love our country we know that our freedom is in jeopardy we know that the future is in jeopardy and as musicians this was our opportunity to make a statement you know, John, you just said something there. I was going to, uh, Tom, I'm going to ask you a question here in a second, but I just quickly, um, you know, when we were going up to your bar in your house, you have a bunch of pictures of people you met in your elevator. And a lot of those people don't look like you, John. And that goes to show you what a real American conservative patriot who respects every, the dignity of every human being and doesn't give a damn about skin color, where you're from. I've seen those pictures. That's the kind of guy you really are. And, you know, that you made me think of that when you said that. That Tom, you're from a different world. I know John's taken on wokeism and country music. And John's in a unique place, Tom. He, John is, is such a powerful figure in country music. He can basically write his own rules. Now, hip-hop, you think country music has gotten woke. My gosh, hip-hop is full of people <laughs> who are woke. So you really got a tough road to hoe ahead of you. How bad is it in that space, patriots like you speaking out about American values and stuff? You know what, man? Um, it's it, it from the hip hop community. Like, I don't have a lot of friends in hip hop. I can tell you that much. Um, and there's a lot of longtime hip hop fans that uh, you know sort of detest what I'm doing because it goes contrary. It's it opposes uh, what they're used to hearing from within the genre. But you know what, man? Like that, they're mad at me for talking about politics or talking about uh, thinking for yourself or talking about how much I love the country or that our freedom's in jeopardy. And the music that, that fills up the space in that genre is typically talking about romanticizing suicide, promoting prescription drug abuse, alcohol, partying, brand right. names determining your self-worth, uh, objectifying women, hyper-sexualizing people. Like the, it's, a, it's a mess. So um, I'm out here just trying to make music that can empower people. And it, maybe if not empower people, at least give people the opportunity to think for themselves and allow them to empower themselves. So, you know, it, it, at this point, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much opposition I get or how angry people are. 
I'm a fully independent artist. I'm not signed to anybody. There's no manager. There's no record label. There's, there's nothing. There's nobody that's going to control me uh, on the, on the behind the scenes business side of things. And there's no negative feedback on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube uh, that's going to change the path that I'm taking right now. So no, I can tell because someone sent sent some of your work to me a year ago. You're not new to me. We're talking to Tom McDonald and, and John Rich, the, uh, the country singer extraordinaire. Like I said, you know him from Big and Rich, from his solo career. They got a compilation project. The song is available right now for download, to add to your playlist, to purchase. It's called End of the World. The last time John spoke out and put a song together about fighting for American values, it was number one like that. Let's make this number one and sell 10 times as many to send a big double-barreled middle finger to these a-holes in the industry trying to tell us America don't matter. You guys don't have to comment on that, but this show gets in trouble all the time. I'm just saying. So, John, here's the thing. Tom just said something about being an independent producer. And you and I have actually had this conversation. It's number one now. Awesome. Let's make it more. Let's double that thing geometrically higher, right? Um, you said to me a while ago, and I thought it was so accurate given my involvement with Rumble, that listen, Dan, content is king, man. That the distribution channels in the past where there was like payola and radio stations, that's all dead now. Anyone can go to Rumble or a video platform and play John Rich and Tom McDonald's song or purchase it on their own. And a guy like you helping out a guy like Tom, this is the future of the music industry, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really important uh, that guys like me and Tom, who come from two separate genres, uh, join forces. You know, a lot of Tom's fans are hearing me for the first time, and a lot of my fans are hearing Tom for the first time, and they're looking at us, and it's this great American moment where look at these very opposite guys making harmony together and speaking a very powerful message about our country and about our future. That that's powerful, and yeah, you can go to Rumble and watch it. Matter of fact, the video is is on, uh, it's on uh, John Rich official on Rumble, and and of course you can find it all over the place. It's very important. Uh, listen, Dan, the bad guys have bought all the real estate. You know, people say I feel like I want to run for the hills, but there's no hills left to run to. All the bad guys own them all, and so we have to build new hills for people to run to. You being involved in the beginning of Rumble, man, what a huge deal that was. It's given all of us another place to go. And I think we got to continue in that. And that is the American spirit at the end of the day. You cannot keep us down forever. We will figure out a way to come back and win. Yeah. And you know, Tom, I, I'm sure you're going to echo that because I know we all on the phone here feel the same way and on, on the microphone. But the, the, the thing is, like, they really took us for granted, the left. I think they had so many successes. And, and candidly, we had so many. I don't expect you to comment on politics or anything, Tom. But we had so many shady, dopey, stupid Republicans over decades. Like, oh, let's not argue about this culture stuff. Let's just argue for tax cuts. Brother, I love tax cuts. Get your freaking grimy, filthy, stinking mitts out of my wallet. Great. But that's not the only thing on planet Earth. You know, there's a culture war out there where we're, you know, we're, we're indoctrinating kids. We're teaching kids to hate each other based on skin color. We're teaching a generation of kids to hate America. Like, how are you going to have a country where this club we call America, everybody says the club sucks. Like, no one's going to want to be in that club. And then they're surprised that America's having problems. So to have guys like you speak out and to have John at your back and, and vice versa, and you guys to put out content and entertaining good. The song's great. I just bought it myself. That's what I was doing for those watching on Fox Nation. <laughs> the song is great. To have guys like you break through and to produce good quality, entertaining content, this is a big deal. 
Yeah, I think it's like John said. I think the bad guys have bought up all the real estate. And um, I think that they've also uh, convinced all of us people within America or North America or maybe even bigger in the world. I think that the bad guys have convinced us to point the fingers at one another and be mad at one another and hate yes. one another instead oh, of point yeah. the fingers at them and hate yeah, them amen. and have a problem with them. So that you know, goes back to, again, yeah, amen. And it goes back to what John said. That's why it's so important for the white rapper with the blonde braids and the face tattoos and the country icon with the handlebar mustache and the cowboy hat. It's important for those people to look past the face tattoos and look past the cowboy hat and, 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 and have the conversations with one another and discover that we all have so much more in common and the mainstream media wants us to believe. And that's when we're going to be most powerful, when we can shake hands and have those conversations and stand together. So true, Tom. John, last question. I'll let you guys go. The song, again, folks, is called End of the World. Tom McDonald and John Rich, available for download, for purchase, available and listen to it on Rumble, spread it around, tell your friends. If we don't support our creators, our patriotic creators, we're not going to have any more. And not to mention the song's really damn good, too. But John, last question for you. Now you've had multiple successes. This is now, gosh, your third or fourth consecutive, like number one, you just kind of rode and did outs in a parallel economy atmosphere. So there's no question your business model, good content, solid promotion, we love America works. Are you finding a lot of creators out there now calling you up, guys like Tom saying, hey, John, I, I, I'd like to do a little project too. No, Dan, I'm not getting those phone calls because most people, uh, they still believe that they have to have the industry. They don't want to buck that system. Mm, you know, it's shame. a dangerous gamble to buck the system because once you buck them, Dan, once you show them that middle finger one time, they're done. They're done with you. And so to give that up, man, that's a huge risk for a lot of artists. But Guys like Tom McDonald and myself, uh, Aaron Lewis is another one that's been doing that. There's very few of us. Oh, he's great. But, but we're out there, man. We're out there, and we do need everybody's support because we're showing the system that we've got our own system. It's called We Make Great Songs, We've Got Great Fans, and We Don't Need Your, uh, your Evil Situation to Promote Our Music. I, I told Tom this. If those people approved of what I'm doing, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I take their hatred for me as validation that I'm saying it correctly. John, you're the real deal, man. I'm telling you, folks, this guy is a great, great guy. We sat there. He, he, he's, you're so talented, too, John. My brother, uh, when we, you know, we left your house and we went over to the Fox. And my brother, that's all he wanted to talk about. He's like, I can't believe this guy just picks up my guitar. He's like, invents songs out of nowhere. <laughs> I can't even play, like, I can't even play Ring Around the Rosie on, like, a guitar. John's like, boom, yeah, I got it. John's like, hey, uh, Dan, I got to go to the bathroom. He comes back, he's like, I thought of a song in the bathroom. You're like, wait, what? This guy, that's how talented he is. I got to run, guys. I'm running out of time. But the song, again, folks, End of the World, Tom McDonald, John Rich, blow this thing up. Make it number one, not just today, not just tomorrow, but next week too. And flip a big, giant, screw you a-holes to every one of these woke morons in both hip-hop and country music. Sorry, fellas. Didn't mean to bring you into that. John Rich, Tom McDonald, <laughs> thanks for coming on. You guys thanks, are great. Dan. Appreciate it. You thanks, got Dan. it. See you guys. Folks, please, I am begging you. It's a good song, man. Go get it. Spread it around. I make nothing from this. I don't care. It's not about money. 
This is about me being a part of this parallel economy where we say to these people, we had enough. We've got our own people. We've got our own singers. We've got our own movies. We've got our own banking system. We don't need you crazy lunatics anymore. We're at the beginning of it. And it's growing every day. But we're all part of it. John and I can't do it without you. Check out the song, End of the World, John Rich, Tom McDonald. That was John Rich and Tom McDonald. Up next, we talk with Father Robert Sirico. This is a fascinating interview, I promise you, about the moral case for capitalism, something you may not have heard. We got a lot of feedback on this interview. Let's hear from our next sponsor first. Today's show also brought to you by Birch Gold Group. Inflation has consequences. You're seeing it now. Feds are raising rates to try to combat inflation. It's not working. You're seeing the market get crushed, bonds get crushed, gold, uh, you know, gold going up in value. Because why? It's very rare for bonds and stocks to go down at the same time. You're seeing it because the economy's in total chaos. So you got to protect yourself. The recent surge in gold prices shows why gold has been historically a great hedge against the stock market and against inflation. That's why I've been a big advocate for gold. That's why I buy gold multiple times. The only company I trust to help you diversify into gold is Birch Gold Group. I buy my gold from them. You can do the same. Text Dan to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k that's tied to a volatile market into an IRA in physical precious metals, gold and silver. The best part, it's tax sheltered. Text Dan, my first name. Do it today to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold today with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, me included. Birch Gold's who I trust to protect, uh, protect my future and yours. Text Dan to 989898 today. Past performance on a guarantee of future results. Message and data rates apply. Thanks, Birch Gold. Here's Father Bob Sirico talking about the moral case for capitalism, why free markets work. You're going to love this interview and how government is not the entity you can trust to solve your problem. All right, so I asked and the audience responded. I said, listen, if anyone knows uh, Father Bob Sirico, please connect us. I would love to have him on the show I listened to a speech he gave once, and I, I thought it was amazing at the uh, Acton Institute about basically the moral case for free markets. So he's here. Father Bob Sirico, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Finally. Yes, sir. Yes, finally. It's, it's, it's an honor. I, uh, I tell the story often on the show, but it's worth repeating. I was running for office one time, and I was up in the mountains. The only station that came in was C-SPAN, and they were covering a speech you were giving, and you, you said something that I really stung and it, and it made a lot of sense. You said something to the effect of it's not that government's too big, folks. It's that it's just too stupid. In other words, it just doesn't have the capability and the depth of knowledge to figure out every human problem. And well, I, it was just so well said. So elaborate on that point. Well, uh, there are two dimensions to that. At first, it's stupid because it becomes bureaucratized. So it removes. Uh, people who are solving the problems from the problem. So the bureaucracy is so far removed from what's going on on the ground that it enacts programs that are stupid. It doesn't hit the target. But the second point, and it's a, a more complex economic point, is that socialism itself, the um, centralized planning that government does, um, really blocks our ability to know what real issues are. It does this because it impedes entrepreneurs from finding out the real cost of things, things like this. This is a point made in that beautiful parable you may have heard, I pencil, that right. um, Leonard Reed used to tell. That, right. you know, you, 
don't know what the supply and the demand is if you have bureaucrats and regulations and taxes in the middle of it. So it's stupid in that sense as well. Yeah, and I, I always think of the principle that actually had its base in, in faith and religion of subsidiarity. The idea exactly. that the best level of management is the, the closest unit to the person being managed. In other words, if, right. if you want something done in your HOA, uh, Father Bob, you want something done in your HOA, you don't go to the federal government. You go to the HOA manager because he understands the people and the building, right? But that's not right. what we're doing with this expansive federal government. We're taking local decision-making, your health care, your kid's school, and we're putting it in Joe Biden's hands. Right. And, and you see what happens when it all begins to fall apart, whether it's here in the United States through these kinds of regimes like we see now or in China or in, in Russia or in Cuba or in Venezuela, every place that it, it's enacted uh, to, and to the extent that it's enacted, you have poverty, you have underproduction, you have people wanting to get out and get to freedom. We're talking to Father Robert Sirico. Uh, he's really a brilliant guy. I've, I've really enjoyed your speeches. I watch a lot of your videos out there, too. Uh, how do you address uh, being a priest and a man of faith and uh, understanding the words of the Bible? How do you address the liberal criticism frequently of free market folks like myself and you? Uh, where they say, well, listen, you know, uh, Jesus was a socialist. I, I, I kind of laugh when they say that, but how do you address that? Well, you know, you know who came back with the best quip on this, the most succinct, was Winston Churchill. And this is, at the, you know, in the early 1900s, he said in his day, of course, he said, the socialism of the ancient church, the early Christians, said, all that is mine is yours. But the modern socialists say, all that is yours is mine. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> what, what they're great. looking when these liberals uh, accuse us of this, they're looking at the communal nature, the generous nature, the philanthropical nature of the early church, of Jesus, of how he went out of his way and gave himself for other people. And they say, well, that's socialism. Well, the difference between that, what Jesus did and what his early church did and what the church continues to do, is that we're inspired to sacrifice ourselves by his message of love for the other person. Socialism is the opposite of that. It coerces you. It doesn't inspire you to, uh, to greatness, to heroism, to sanctity. Uh, it forces you. A person isn't made holier because their money is taken and given to somebody else. Even if that money goes to something good, you're not benefited spiritually by it. And so that's the, the great flaw of socialism. We're talking to Father Robert Sirico. He has a book called The Economics of the Parables. You should probably check that out. You'll be smarter if you do The Economics of the Parables. Uh, sir, yeah, one of the things I struggle with, I, I, my local priest, the pastor of my church, good man, we have him on the show all the time, uh, Father Marty, and I asked him this question, but I'd love to get your perspective. I genuinely struggle with this in church. I, I Luckily, I've been recently in my life very successful. I didn't grow up that way. My father was a plumber. My mom worked at checkout counter in a restaurant. I was a cop, an agent. Yeah, yes, sir. I'm from Queens. I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> what part of Brooklyn? Uh, East Flatbush and uh, Bay Ridge. Oh, I know it well. I played baseball about. I was a cop in Brooklyn. Yeah. Up like you, same thing. Six, yeah. six people in one little one little apartment. 
You know, so you can relate. I mean, growing up with uh, in in a two bedroom apartment, me and my three brothers right. slept on the same double bed, right? Right. And my poor middle brother got stuck in the middle with you know the metal thing, and all oh, poor kid, <laughs> poor kid, still traumatized, right? Now right. that my audience has been gracious enough to have granted me and and the Lord Himself this incredible life. I struggle a lot because I, I say to myself, I, I, I have an obligation to be doing more. And I sincerely try, but I know I should be doing more. But there's this natural human impulse to greed. And when you ignore it, you become that person. You have to recognize those yeah. flaws in yourself. But the, I have this problem with wealth. And, and, and I read the Bible and, you know, the rich man, the eye of the needle, the, the whole the love of money thing. What do you say to guys, you know, like me who have assets and who are wealthy and talk about free markets when liberals say well you can do that you know you're rich or whatever you're gonna go to hell anyway read the bible well the first thing i do is i write a book like the parable <laughs> the the book on the parable <laughs> of the economics because every one of those statements you said i cover in that book the rich man and 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 the greed. but what i would say to you personally what what i said one very wealthy man um, rather well-known, but I won't mention his name here. He said to me once, um, you know, I really want to grow in holiness, and wh what do I do for the poor? Uh, and I said, well, why don't you think of, and I, I mentioned a, a, a soup kitchen. I said, why don't you just go work in a soup kitchen one afternoon or one night? He said, Father, he said, if I did that, do you know how much money I could make in that period of time, by giving myself over to them. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. You thought I was talking about something for the benefit of the poor. I was talking about something of benefit for your soul. You know, hey. do that and do it anonymously. I mean, if you can, I mean, you're a well-known person. But if you can do something anonymously for somebody, that that's going to put a whole perspective about how you handle your money and what your heart, what God is calling you to. And by the way, the very fact that you're asking this question is such a sign of uh, a, a moral tug uh, on the part of God on your soul. Well, Father, I, I appreciate that, especially from you. I, I struggle. I mean, Jesus saved me a long time ago. I surrendered my soul as a child. It's, sure. I've never turned back. I, it, it means everything to me. I, I've used this, this microphone. I pray every night, Lord, give me the tools you've given me to evangelize your cause, but to do it right. in the right way. I, I pray to him to give me the guidance and the words. He means so much to me. He means everything to me. But I, I just feel like I'm in this struggle where if God, he never gives you easy answers, Father. And I, no. I just, I, I wonder if, if he said to me tomorrow, Dan, I need a favor from you. You need to give it all away and go back to the apartment you and your wife Paula lived in in Bayside, that one bedroom apartment, and you are going to make the world an exponentially better place. It would be done at the snap of a finger. But where I struggle with it is I've seen the yeah. effects in my own family, Father, of giving money to people. Yeah. And it, it's destroyed them. It hasn't helped. It's destroyed them. That's right. No, I, I think what, what you're saying is so right. But don't think it's just people who have wealth that have that moral struggle. We, we all have that moral struggle. Uh, people who don't have a lot still need to ask those same kinds of questions. The, the thing we need to do is be in solidarity with people who are in need, not just give away. Compassion isn't just giving to people, it's suffering with people. That's what the word compassion means, compasio, to suffer with. And to the extent that you suffer with people, we all have, 
you know, this examination of conscience, which is why I go to confession regularly, especially in Lent, which is what we're in now. Yeah. We're talking to Father Robert Sirico, S-I-R-I-C-O. The book is called The Economics of the Parables. You should probably check that out. Father, when you hear words like equity and, and, and you know, social justice, clearly terms meant to ring your emotional bell. I mean, who's not for justice and who's not for what appears to sound like equality? Um, the problem I have with, and I think where you have kind of a greater moral authority than me, whether you think so or not, you do, um, is that it, they're not, that, that's not what they actually mean. But they don't actually mean justice. As Hayek said, you know, the road to serfdom, if, if the government is going to enforce equality, it, it ironically requires them to treat people unequally. A guy like you, say, really worked your butt off and earned, you know, $100 an hour. If you have to be treated as equally as the guy who only produced $20 of value and split your proceeds, then you're being treated unequally, which is the greatest irony of these buzz terms like equity. Right. But, you know, it, it, the, the question of equality is a, the, the moral, the, the key moral question is a, a question of human dignity. And all human beings share this dignity regardless of the size of their bank accounts. By the way, the, the great parable that that rankles exactly the, the social justice warriors is the parable of the, the talents and the parable of the the laborers in the vineyard where, where all these laborers come and those who work the whole day get the same price as those who work just part of the day. Uh, that's really something to think about. Were they treated unjustly because they agreed to the same wage? Uh, the master says, no, uh, don't I have the right to do with my property as I want? Uh, the, the way in which rhetorically uh, socialists and collectivists of various kinds utilize moral categories without the morality is really quite intriguing. It's a, it's a study in itself. And it's to, yeah. induce, it's to induce an inappropriate guilt. Uh, you know, if, if the temptation of actors in a free economy is a temptation to greed, which is true, we have to guard our hearts against this, the unacknowledged temptation on the part of the left is a temptation to envy. To, to viciously hate people who have succeeded, not because they've done anything wrong, but simply because they have succeeded. I mean, this keying of the Teslas, you know, have you, you read about these people who go around? Yeah, so silly, yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it's a horrible, a horrible attitude uh, that is engendered by this kind of socialist mentality. So true. Uh, Father Sirico, you did not disappoint. We have never spoken before to my great chagrin, I have a fantastic audience. I'm so glad somebody found you. We would love to have you back. His book, folks, is called The Economics of the Parables, Father Robert Sirico. Please check it out. Now, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You were amazing. No, thank you. No, well, we speak the same language, right? Yeah, you ain't kidding. We even have the same accent. Mine's kind of watered down a little bit after moving to Maryland and Florida. But believe yeah. me, I can still be the New York translator for anyone. <laughs> I, 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 I need to have an egg cream right now. You got it, sir. Knock yourself out there. Delicious. Father Bob Sirico, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. What a good man. I'll never forget when he said that. I was listening to that speech. It's not that government's too big. That is too stupid. You ever hear a priest talk like that? My man.
That was Father Bob Sirico. Up next is Will Kane, my colleague from Fox News. He knows a lot about sports, a lot about culture. I really enjoyed this interview, too. We'll get to that in a second. Let me tell you about our next sponsor first. Support for today's episode comes from Vincero. You know Vincero and how much I love their products and their watches. They're a modern design brand for core accessories, crafting sleek watches, sunglasses, and a lot more. And we have two extra special Vincero news items to share today. One, they just launched their spring upgrade sale, which gets you up to 30% off everything. That's larger than any discount I've seen them offer in our three years of working with Vincero. Secondly, they just came out with a limited edition, which they only made a limited amount, called the Day One Argo. It's a black and gold rendition of one of their most popular automatic styles, and I was able to get my hands on one. The Day One is an ode to the mentality they embody at Vincero. Only 350 were made, so head over to Vincero now before they run out. The watch looks incredible, but still accessible at under $500, and GQ recently called Vincero their go-to brand for modern accessories. Don't wait or it'll be too late. Get up to 30% off at VinceroCollective.com slash Bongino. Support our show and check them out at VinceroCollective.com slash Bongino. That's Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, collective.com slash Bongino. Look good, feel good, and save big with Vincero. Here's Will Cain talking about everything from boxing to baseball to the upcoming presidential election to the Trump persecution and a whole lot more. Check this out. All right, I'd like to welcome to the show one of my good friends at Fox, a guy uh, we have, a, we go way back. We have a lot of history together. We were on, we were on panels on CNN back in the day, arguing with lefties and over at the Blaze before it was the Blaze. So we've been around a while together. My good friend, host of the Will Kane podcast, which I can't emphasize the enough in strong enough terms, is so terrific, <laughs> worth your time. Will Kane podcast. I will fit it in today and plug it for you, so you don't have to. Will you know we joke about that all the time? Thank How you, are you, buddy? Thank you. That's a that's a uh, subtle way of saying Will. Just talk about the subject. You don't have to shoehorn in your podcast. <laughs> Will and I joke all the time about it, about who's the better plugger of the podcast. Will's very good. I always enjoy Hey, listen, it's a business, Will. I mean, we're capitalists, you and I. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You've got great content you're proud of. I think the show is spectacular. You're one of the few guys out there who um, you managed to incorporate culture and sports and weave it into politics and you make it interesting, and, and I think that's what makes your show different. I got to tell you, I, you've forgotten more about sports than I know. But before we get into the hard stuff, your thoughts on this World Baseball Classic. A lot of complaints, a lot of good players got injured. My humble opinion, Will, I think this was great for baseball. I mean, 60 million people or something watched the Japan-Mexico game. That's crazy. I do too, and here's why I think it's good for baseball. It's because baseball is just mired in declining relevance. The only reason people watch baseball is for one singular team that they are passionate about. They don't watch it for a league. They don't watch it for a playoff yes. hardly. They watch it for their team. And this was a moment where, look, i got to tell you, Dan, baseball has fallen down for me to, I don't know, number four maybe. In yeah, me too, brother. Yes. And, but all of a sudden there was buzz around this World Baseball Classic and, like, I think the key can I, I'm going to tie it together and it's not that it's a mutual love fest, but to watch you blow up and you really started to blow up when I was over in the world of sports and to watch you blow up. And it's not about, you know, attention seeking or carnival barking. It's about, you have quality content that you need to make the world aware of. Right. And so, and, and not just that, 
but it's a message that's important and, and you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think it were important. Right. right. And then therefore you got to tell people about it. And I just watched how you built what you built, which is just beyond impressive. And I joked with you last weekend on your show, but I really did take lessons from what you did. And look, if you've said something on a recent podcast or you said something on a recent show and you're talking about it now, I say, yeah. And I went into it deeper here, right? I only got two minutes on television, but I went into it deeper here. So I, I truly learned from you, but just to tie it full circle, the World Baseball Classic was calling attention to the game of baseball in a way that had been lost. And next thing I know, without even trying, I'm looking up and it's in the bar and people are talking about it. And next thing you know, Shohei Otani is going up against Mike Trout in like right. epic, epic with the game on the line. The game. Exactly. Right. Yeah, the I two probably the two greatest position play. Well, Otani plays all over the place. Doesn't even apply there, but probably one of the top two or three pitchers in baseball. Unquestionably, a future Hall of Famer, the equivalent of the Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth of our time, or with a three-two full count. I mean, Will, you couldn't have scripted it like a Kevin Costner, uh, a Bull Durham Field of Dreams any better than that. And I agree with you. They did need that because I'm with you, brother Will. The baseball, I grew up on baseball, loved it, played it by far, not even a close second, my favorite sport growing up, obsessed with the Yankees. Could have gone through every single player, their stats, batting average, everything. And now... I just, you know, maybe it's the wokeism, all the nonsense. I don't know. I, I, I just, I can't get into it. It's like I, I, I'm football, basketball, yeah. hockey, and then like a distant fourth baseball. So I, I agree with you. I think this was a good thing. Yeah, football's taken over as America's game. That's the bottom line, and it's pro yeah. and college. You played. That's well, tough for too, you, right? though. I did. I played. Yeah, I played uh, the. Uh, I played for the fall season, and uh, and I played in high school. And then I quit the team at Stony Brook right before the final cuts because I had a girlfriend in New York that I missed. And I regret that decision ever since. I left a voicemail with the coach. His name was Matt. And uh, I'd had a really good uh, you know, set of scrimmage games. I was pretty sure I would have made that team. And I, I'm still upset at myself. I just, um, you know, to this day, I'm angry. I love the game, though. I love the fact that it's a... You know, it's a, it really is a thinking man's game. I mean, when you look at some of the physiques in baseball, they just don't match up to football. Um, I had a thousand questions, but you're so interesting. You know, think about it, like John Cruck, right? I mean, this is a guy who can succeed in baseball. Uh, you know, he couldn't necessarily maybe get that done in football. And it's because he's in this game of inches where he's figured out how maybe to read a pitcher and the angle of his hand a little bit better than the other guy who didn't Skill. see the curveball coming. Yeah. yeah. yeah Skill man. versus athleticism, right? Like, Cruck isn't going to be... I mean, maybe golf, because golf is such a skill-based game. Repetition of, of, of act, right? Whatever, swing a golf club, swing a baseball. How many different pitches have you seen? He's mastered that skill. Hey, by the way, and I know you want to talk to me about, like, Trump and Manhattan DA and all that, but one, one more non-political note, and yeah, you're guys in the conversation, not me. I thought about you this morning. So uh, yesterday I was in Houston, and I'm doing this piece on Fox and Friends, for Fox and Friends, for Devin Still. He's an amazing dude. He played defensive tackle for the Bengals. You probably heard his story at one point. His daughter got diagnosed with neuroblastoma cancer. And yes, I had, yes, unfortunately, I have heard. Yeah. yeah. He's an, he, she survived. She's good. She's 12, and I went and visited with them. And he's an absolute champ, just a font of wisdom. I mean, like, you meet people in your life, they're smart people, there's other, wise people stand out. You're like, I don't know what it is, but you've managed to figure out a lot of really important life lessons. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons I'm conservative, because of the wisdom involved in the eternal principles. But anyway, so Devin and I worked out, Dan, and um, that was part of the thing. We're going to go work out together. 
and he's boxing. Oh. So I, I okay. boxed for the first time yesterday, oh. and I shadow oh, no. and I hit bags. And then, like, I'm hurt. How are your shoulders places. feeling today? I knew I didn't it. even know I had these muscles. <laughs> right. You know, like in the middle of it. my high back. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Do. Dude, boxing will wear your ass out, bro. Boxing is, a, it's not just, if you're doing it right, and I'm sure Devin told you this, a punch is about 30% arm and about another 20%, 25% leg, and the rest is rotational core. You know, only street yep. thugs use yeah. all arm, and that's why they can't fight. But when you get with a boxer and he teaches you how to properly body hook, you realize this is mostly legs and core. And if you're doing it right on that heavy bag, you wake up the next day and you're right. You're like, my gosh, that hurts. Like, why does my lower back hurt? No, boxing is great. It's, there's nothing like it. So, Will, we're talking to Will Kane, host of the excellent Will Kane podcast, which you should subscribe to today. Will, I, I've had this theory about Trump. You uh, are an astute follower of uh, what's going on in the political scene that this is actually going to backfire spectacularly on them if this arrest does happen. Probably happen on Fox and Friends this weekend or maybe Friday you'll be covering it. I'll be there with you. And the reason is the most damaging political narratives in the world, and I've said this to you before, ones that change your pre-existing notion of who someone is. You know, if you found Mike Pence in a strip club, oh my gosh, like that's it, it's over. But if you find like <laughs> Donald Trump, think about that, <laughs> right? Like it's so crazy, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so bananas. Like that doesn't happen. But when you hear these stories about Donald Trump, whether they happened or not, right? He was alleged to be involved with some stripper. And then, Will, you grew up on Howard Stern like I did, listening to Trump talk about his party lifestyle. You may not like the story, but it doesn't change anything for you. But he has made a brand out of being this deep state warrior. So you're going to trot him in a blue city, in a blue state, in front of a likely blue judge, surrounded by blue hecklers and handcuffs? And you think this is going to damage his brand? It's the single dumbest thing I've ever heard. So I totally agree with you when it comes to the Republican primary and the Republican base. And I think it could it could cinch the Republican primary for him over who we all know to be the closest front runner, Ron DeSantis. Right. I'm not making that call. I'm just saying it could be the deciding factor. Right. Um, But here's the thing. And I want to talk this out with you. I don't know about the general. Now, here's why I say that. Okay, you're right about the Stormy Daniels stuff. I, that stuff's baked into the cake. That ain't changing anybody's mm-hmm. mind, right? Mm-mm. No one. You, I think that your challenge, Dan Bongino, and my challenge, Will Kane, is this. that We know that what this story is truly about is a two-tier justice system. And I can go into the details of it, Dan. So can you. I can talk about the fact that no DA would ever pursue this, including the previous DA or federal prosecutors, that it's a misdemeanor, that it's run past the statute of limitations. And I can lay out the case about why this is so weak, and therefore it's a political witch hunt. I can lay that out, right? But the only people that are really going to take the time to listen to me on that are the people that care and know right away. And that is the Republican base that sees the details, is invested in understanding it, and sees the, therefore the two-tier justice system. What my worry is, Dan, there's this other thing out there, and it's, I don't know the better word for it than zeitgeist. And it's just sort of the, the people who accept the news and it washes over them, right? And when it washes over you, all you collect is a few details. And you have to have these people to win an election. You have to have some of these people in the general. And again, I don't think it's the Stormy Daniels aspect. I think it's going to be like this idea that Donald Trump broke the law, period. That's what they'll say, right? And what they're going to do, by the way, is run um, probably run the same play three times. 
They may run it in Georgia, and they may run it when it comes to Mar-a-Lago. And you and I, it comes back to me and you and everyone out there to try to persuade those people who I don't think are dug in lefties. Those people are lost, right? Don't worry about them. Those, the right. other persuadable people you need to win a general, why this is a two-tier justice system, right? Because I think they turn off their ears. They accept shallow explanations. They accept shallow images and pictures. And they're going to have a negative opinion of all this when it comes to Donald Trump. That's my that's my um, concern. I'm not saying for sure. I can't make a prediction. That's my concern. And therefore, I think that's our job is to help make the persuadable people understand the truth is on our side. Understand why this is such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, that's it's a that's a pretty terrific analysis. But I think of it more in the realm of just pure spreadsheets and numbers. I remember when I was looking at running for governor in Maryland and I just would sit there with a spreadsheet and say, where are we going to get the numbers? And I think mm-hmm. when you look at this arrest, yes, you know, how does the breaking of the law, alleged breaking of the law play to them? I totally understand how that may not get suburban moms in there, but that's also baked into the electoral cake, too. Here's what I see, Will. I see a growing number of minority voters, which are increasingly, increasingly powerful electorally in America, moving to Donald Trump, which who may or may not move to Ron DeSantis. Now, DeSantis has a record of success with them, unquestionably best governor in America, in my opinion, in Florida. There's zero doubt about landslide victory. Does that Mm -hmm. translate nationally? The answer is I don't know, but I do know about Trump where he got a significantly higher percentage of Hispanic and black voters than Mitt Romney or George W. Bush. And now you see that transformation continuing in an immigration environment Biden's created and an inflationary environment attacking the middle class. And the question is, does the coalition work? Middle class working voters who like them, dirt under the fingernails, minority voters and young kids who really seem to like them. It may. Your thoughts. I, I um, the best the best thing about – you know, I think in life, Dan, all of us, our strengths are our weaknesses, right? That's who we are. Like, if you want to find your biggest strengths, probably look inside your weaknesses. And you want to find your biggest weaknesses, they're hidden somewhere inside your strengths. And the best argument for Donald Trump is also the best argument against Donald Trump. Like, um, you and I love that he's a fighter and that he exposes the insanity inside of his opponents. And by the way, not just the insanity, the truth, right? Something that existed or that was already there. Um, you know, I worked at, you, you mentioned CNN. I was at CNN as a conservative commentator from like 2010 to 14, 15. So pre-Trump and, and then were they liberal? Were they, yeah, all that stuff. And then Trump comes along and just like rips the mask off of everything. And that's good. I think that honesty is good for society. I think that exposure is good, but inside that strength for others, I'm not talking about for me, for others, uh, people just can't handle it, man. <laughs> they just can't handle that truth. But I don't know the numbers. I'm not making a prediction for you, right? I don't know how another general election turns out. I'm just telling you my concern. But I don't I don't say, okay, then give up. I don't do that. I just go, well, our job. It's why I do a podcast. I'm sure it's why you talk for three hours a day on this show. We have to help people understand yeah. why we have a we there is such thing as a deep state it's not a buzzword right it is yeah. important to point out george soros's role in our or our society it's not just a buzzword it, there is a two-tier justice system we have to explain how it's playing out it's not just a partisan talking point buzzword and that's why i do what i do and you do what you do 
Well, I want to get a plug in for your podcast before I run. I, it's so great to spend a little extra time with you on, on Fox and Friends, and I enjoy it, but we're always kind of, you know, stuck between the breaking news of the day. So you're a fascinating guy. You did not disappoint at all, tying baseball into all that, and your analysis is really deep. The Will Kane podcast, folks, you'll get it every day. That seems it's terrific. It's one of the few I listen to. I don't have a lot of time. Check him out. Will, I, I will see my, you Saturday. i got to stretch out my middle back. That's what I'm going to work yeah. on. I'm all Epsom tight. salt. Epsom salt. <laughs> and as my my uh, my, uh, my my uh, wife's grandmother used to say, Vivaparu, the Vicks VapoRub. All right, Will, go enjoy yourself. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Thanks right, for coming man. on. You got it. That was Will Kane. Up next is a former Secret Service colleague of mine with a very special area of expertise, school security. Something that's tragically come up again. His name's Jeff James. You've probably heard of him before on my show. This is an interview about what you can do to secure your school. Let me thank our final sponsor first for bringing this podcast to you. Uh, sponsor, I'm happy to have on board, uh, Windshield Wow, appropriately named because it does a terrific job cleaning your windshield. I had a couple of uh, people give me feedback on it yesterday. really liked it. The Windshield Wow is an ingenious windshield cleaning device. It uses two magnetic cleaning panels. Uh, cleaning paddles are super strong. Basically, one tracks on the inside while you clean on the outside. It follows along and it cleans your windshield. It gets in all those nooks and crannies. It keeps the haze and the glare, the pollen. And uh, if, you, if it rains a lot, like it does down here in Florida, it rains typically once a day around 3 o'clock in the summer. You want your windshield clean. You're just not going to be able to see. My dad used to detail cars, so I like my car clean. That's why I like this product. Windshield Wow applies firm cleaning pressure for you. It's super thin, gets in those tight dash areas. I like it. Haze and film builds up on both sides of your windshield, causing dangerous glare. You don't want that. Windshield Wow is the fastest and least hassle way to get super clean, streak-free, and safe windshields. Paula loved it too, so we got two of them. Go to windshieldwow.com to get this ingenious cleaning device now. That's windshieldwow.com. Windshieldwow.com. Use Bongino, my last name, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, at checkout for a special discount. That's windshieldwow.com. Thanks, Windshield Wow, for being our newest sponsor. I love the product. We appreciate it. Finally, here's Jeff James, again, a former colleague of mine and an expert on school shootings and what you can do to secure your kid's school. This is really important for you to hear. There are things you can do to help. Listen closely. All right, it's um, sad that I only get to talk to this individual at, at length, typically when something tragic happens. He's a good friend. We go way back together. We worked in uh, Secret Service together. He was a fine agent and a fine man. Good family guy, and uh, as I said, a really good friend and is a uh, very, very, very smart person and an expert when it comes to targeted school violence. Well, welcome back to the show, uh, my friend Jeff James. Jeff, thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Oh, no problem, Dan. Thank you for having me. Sure. I, I, again, I, I wish it were under different circumstances. I wish we could talk more, but you and I are both busy, and I think we take the old Secret Service approach back in the day. I'll, I'll see you on the road somewhere. We can catch yeah, up. That's then. right. Un unfortunately, yeah. um, Something happened yesterday, reached out right away. I asked Jim to contact you because uh, you, you know a lot about this issue. And uh, one of the things I brought up earlier is the Secret Service uh, NTAC study. It was updated in 2021. And one of the key findings about targeted school violence, school shootings and incidents like we saw yesterday um, is that the attackers frequently, matter of fact, almost uh, overwhelmingly, nearly every time, you know, told someone and vocalized or wrote to someone about their intention to do something uh, like this. So your thoughts on, on that, that the signs are there, we may be missing them sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it, if I remember the percentage correctly, it's 81% of the time. So what I tell people when I consult with them is, imagine if 
eight out of 10 times someone would have spoken up and we could have prevented eight out of 10 school shootings. So the, the responsibility really needs to be on the people around this person. If you see them going down, you know, we call it the path toward violence. Let somebody know so we can give them, you know, the old saying, the off ramp to get off of that path toward violence. And I know, um, I know there was a young woman who was a friend of the shooter yesterday who tried it, but sadly, you know, the, the shooter was already into their plan before, before the young lady, uh, before her friend was able to contact the police. But, you know, at least she tried, she made the effort to reach out and you really, you really have a responsibility to do that. Yeah. We're talking to Jeff James, former secret service agent, um, an expert in targeted school violence. Jeff, uh, I think, and, 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 and I think you may agree. One of the reasons, at least in the past, maybe not now, but you know, you'd hesitate to call the police. You say, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to get this person in charge. Just blowing off some steam. And, you know, people say dumb things all the time. And they do, but the sad reality, Jeff, is we live in a very different time right now. Um, there's a copycat effect. There's social media. You know, we live in an age where, you know, violence is inconsequential, glorified, and you're bathed in it all day. You have easy access to hardcore pornography, hardcore violence at the tip of your fingertips. I mean, what do you got to do? Click an I'm 18 button? I mean, it's a different world. I'm not blaming taking a cheap route. Oh, it's the video games or the movies. That's Those, are too, those answers are too simple. They may be factors depending on your exposure to this kind of stuff, but that's not the reason. We're just in a different time. And because we're in that time, this is not the time to just gaff it off and say, well, they're just blowing off some steam. It's our responsibility to do something about it. Right. And, and let the investigators figure it out. Let the experts figure it out. If, if you have yeah. a question, you make a call, the police will talk to them. Maybe they'll get them some counseling. And, you know, it worst Maybe you have to apologize to that person, but at best, you've prevented a tragedy. Yeah, that's such a good point. That's a good point. So, Jeff, some practical things. Um, when you're consulting in this targeted school violence uh, space, what are some practical things people can do? Uh, you know, I've thrown some out in the past. Uh, it's probably a good idea to get together with your local police department if you haven't already at the school. Get blueprints of the school out there so police officers have seen it, have walked through it. They're not guessing when they show up. What, what are some things you're telling uh, principals and parents? Well, the first thing I tell anybody I consult with is you need to get rid of the mindset that it can't happen here. It is a dangerous and irresponsible mindset. And I still have people, Dan, as hard as it is to believe that who say that to me today. And if you go to a school board meeting and you hear a school board member or an administrator at your kid's school say something like that, you need to vote them out of office next turnaround yeah. because yeah. look, the bad guys do surveillance. And we saw that yesterday that this person did surveillance of those two schools and passed on the one that she knew they had security just to go to this one because it was a softer target. So if you have people who are sitting in charge of a school saying it won't happen here, dangerous mindset, you got to get that changed. Uh, the other thing is hardening your perimeter. And, and people say to me, you know, wow, security is expensive. And my answer is, well, security is not expensive. It's priceless. So when you yeah. find ways to, you know, make your doors harden so we, we can prevent what happened yesterday where some, and the same thing that happened at Sandy Hook, they just shoot through the glass and walk into the building. Um, the, those two things of, of denying that mindset that it can't happen here and denying entry of bad guys to your building, those are the two most important things right off the bat. 
Um, yeah, and I think you know, we also. I'm, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say on the hardened on the uh, hardened entrances and exits. Well, you know, we called in the service. You know, ingress and egress. They're not impenetrable. Well, what we did in the Secret Service is you're not setting up an impenetrable fortress. I mean, Jeff, a lot of what you and I used at doing sight advances was pipe and drape, literally a drape with no ballistic capabilities whatsoever. So you might say, well, why use it? People can shoot through it. Well, the answer is because if you're inside the pipe and drape, I know you shouldn't be there. I mean, a lot of these things like hardening an entrance just with locks, well, they can shoot through the glass. Well, they may. But then they're going to have to shoot through the glass and announce themselves first. I mean, the point I think you're trying to make is I get these questions a lot from people, uh, you know, understandably inexperienced in the space or not being rude. Is, well, you know, you put a wall there, you can just get a ladder. Yeah, but then you got to walk down the street with a ladder, which kind of looks strange. Right. So you, you, if you could expound on that a bit. Yeah. And, and the time it takes. So, you know, we, we talked about they've been talking about the 14 minutes that, that it took for the police to respond. So that. She set off an alarm yesterday when she started shooting that gave everybody in that building. And, and when you watch the body cam videos, you hear the alarms going off. Somebody pulled an alarm, everybody locked down, and it, it prevented further bloodshed. But she tripped her own wire by shooting through the door. Um, if it would have been a case where she just could have opened the door and walked in and you had kids in the hall maybe going to the bathroom, imagine the carnage that that would have caused. So, yeah, yeah if you could find a way to to cause somebody even five extra seconds to, to get inside your perimeter, it's going to give you time to get kids to a safe space or if it's a workplace, your employees to a safe space and, uh, and it's going to save lives. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, some other things you're, you're recommending, do you recommend drills, regular drills? I mean, how do you tell, uh, we're talking to Jeff James, a former colleague of mine, expert in targeted violence. How do you tell school administrators and parents, do you balance that, drill doing drills without frightening the children all the time into believing you you know what I'm talking about. What, what do you recommend in that space? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I think kids aren't, you know, my youngest is 11 and she saw what happened yesterday and she knows that they do drills at school and it doesn't look, you need to find ways to, to soften it, but it doesn't terrify them to practice that. Uh, you know, we've gotten away from, someone walking around and, and shooting a blank gun and pretending they're the assailant. Cause that we found that that traumatized even adults. So we, we've gotten away from doing that, but you know, it just that if you take 10 minutes a month to do a lockdown drill, just like a fire drill. And, and I tell people all the time, if you have a kindergartner who's been through fire drills in their first year of school, by Christmas break, they know exactly what to do. If there's a fire, even if the teacher isn't in the room, so if you practice that in conjunction with it, that lockdown drill, those kids just after a few times, those touch points of training in their head, they're going to know exactly what to do if they hear it over the intercom or if they hear the alarm or if the teacher says, hey, we're going to lock down. And, and there are ways to just do it is make it a matter of fact thing that you do and you, you, limit, uh, you limit the trauma. I mean, there are, there are going to be some kids who are going to be unsavory about it, you know, and we also deal with special needs kids who – who don't handle it well. Um, but you know, but you, you got to do it. There's, there's no way to avoid the practice and the training of it. What's your take on, on armed security at schools? I've already stated mine, but I want to give both sides a fair hearing. There's another side of this. I aired a Fox commentator this morning. Uh, my podcast on the radio show today seemed to think having armed guards at schools was traumatizing. I, I think that's 
so absurd to the point of ridiculous, which traumatizing is a school shooting. Uh, but you, but, but your take uh, on that, is that, is that a difference maker? I'll make two points and they both, both of them are very relevant because they both happened yesterday. That shooter chose that school because there was no security over a school that did have security. So what does that tell you? The bad guys do surveillance and they're going to go for the soft target. The other thing I want to point out is that shooter also spent some of her time breaking out a window and shooting at the police. So every time she was shooting at the police, every second was one second less. She was shooting at children. So if you, so the response time was 14 minutes. Imagine if there would have been two officers in that building and the response time was 60 seconds instead of 14 minutes, how much better it would have been. Um, It's another investment that, that I think people should make in their community. And you mentioned it earlier, get with your local PD, see if you can get a grant to fund an SRO. And look, not everybody's cut. Not every cop is cut out to be in an elementary school. I think you know that, right? Like, yeah. There's certain people you wouldn't send into an elementary school, but you can certainly find people in your department who have the proper mindset, temperament, and mentality to be in that school with those kids. And, um, and you know, people say to me all the time, oh, you know, you see cops walking around and they have guns and vests. It's going to trigger the kids. And I don't say this. I mean, it sounds like I'm making fun of it, but it, it really doesn't. But my answer is always, well, you know, what really triggers people is people pulling triggers at them. Like, yeah. we, need, we yeah. need good guys to fight bad guys. And Jeff, I I live in a 50-50 Republican-Democrat community. I mean, we've had a Democrat congressman, a Republican congressman. I brought it up before. This is not a blood-red area of Florida. Uh, And I have never, I have parents, you know, I go to school events just like you do. Uh, I I go to school events, talk to parents who are Democrats. Believe me, they let me know all the time. Uh, Nice people, not, that you know, they don't say anything rude. I have never once heard them or their kids, I don't live with them, granted, but ever object to the school security at our school, ever. I, I, matter of fact, uh, my daughter, and it, it's not some weird virtue signaling, my daughter's never brought it up to me one time. I, I mean, I, I remember her going to a flag football game and they walk across the parking lot and this armed security goes with them. And I, I don't remember anybody saying that. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a guy with a gun next to us. Like it just, it just becomes part of doing business. I mean, I think we, we sell kids, sure. We treat them like... Uh, you know, they're not many adults. I get that, you know, but they're not earthworms either. They, they, they're functioning beings who have the capacity to process information. Yeah. And and look, if you make it part of their every day to them, it's not unusual. It wasn't part of our every day. Like, I get that part. Like you said, that, you know, it's, it's a different world, but it, we can certainly make it part of their every day and they won't think twice about it. And and my kids schools have officers and, you know, my 11 my year old came home about a month ago and said uh, she wore ripped jeans to school and said, you know, her SRO came up to her and said, Hey, it looks like you got attacked by a saber tooth tiger. Like, you know, they, they joke around. It's part of, they see them every day, just like they see the principal and the teacher's age and the teachers. It's almost like, you know, when when you and I were working, you know, when you first get, you know, you get to the white house, you see the president, you stop and you're like, Oh God, you know, it's, you know, it's even though you've been there for a for on the, and you've never been in the detail on the detail. You but then after a while, it just becomes, you know, it becomes part of doing business. Jeff, I, I only got about a minute left, but the police response, uh, absolutely amazing. I mean, if there was a textbook to be written, these guys were real heroes, man. That body cam is very telling. Absolutely. And the one thing I will say with the people who are grousing about the 14 minutes, I will remind them that that was 14 minutes from the first call. So you had, and I'll say this quickly. I know you, we only got a minute. So that means that 
the the dispatcher had to take the information, had to get the radio out. The guys had to drive there, and that bag that that shooter was dead in 14 minutes. So a lot happened in that 14 minutes. And yeah, the body cam footage, the communication was awesome. Uh, you know, the way they just talked to each other and fed off each other and, and Hey, ran straight to the back. They, did you see them pick up their speed when they heard the gunshots? Oh yeah. Like they're, oh, they're moving then, very methodically through the building. They hear the gunshots and they start to run toward it. And, and, like and how he switches his optic. I mean, it's just yeah. everything from yeah. the clearing of the rooms yeah. to the clearing of the door door. I mean, just absolutely textbook under yeah. maximum stress. Jeff, yeah. uh, we so appreciate your time. Uh, I'm going to try to work out uh, doing something this weekend on my show as well. Jeff James, folks, former Secret Service agent, expert in targeted school violence and a very good man. Jeff, thanks for your time. Thank you, Dan. Talk to you soon. You got it. It's a good man right there, folks. It's a quality individual, and he knows exactly what he speaks of. Talk to your kids. You know, the parents, they should, the school should be doing drills. They should be rehearsing this. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff James, folks. Thanks for listening to this special weekend podcast we put together for you. Check out my radio show. If you want to find out where you can listen, go to Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder for the station near you. Hope you're having a great weekend. See you on Monday. You just heard Dan Bongino.